You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Does God live in a black hole? Well, today we're going to be discussing Deep Space Nine, um, kind of some black hole stuff, some stuff about gods and sci-fi and politics and government. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is Systematic Geekology. We are the priest of the geeks. I'm Joshua Knoll, uh, one of your co-hosts. I'm here with another co-host, uh, Sari. And uh, Sari is working on a movie project, which is part of why we were like, hey, let's do a bonus episode. And we were thinking about the things that we liked, and we're like, Deep Space Nine. But uh, Sari, you want to tell them some about your movie and all that? Oh, sure. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I'm on in the last last few days of a crowdfunding campaign, which was very successful. It met its goal. Uh, it was supposed to be a 45-day campaign, but it met the goal of the amount of money I was raising for production in the first 16 or 17 days. So I was nice. really blown away and encouraged by the momentum and the amount of support and um, from both like people I hadn't talked to in a long time, but also like the Portland film community, the Portland wine community, um, people who were sharing and giving. It was really, really cool. Um, and so I'm really excited about it. And uh, if people still want to give, I'm not sure if this is going to go live before it ends in about 10 days. Um, but if they still want to give, what I'm doing is I have a stretch goal for post-production. So that's a separate budget and post-production can cost a lot of money to edit and do special effects and stuff like that. Um, so if people still want to give, they can, or if they just want to go to the website and hit follow, they can sign up to get updates on the project. Um, so it's just winemakermovie.com. Winemakermovie.com should forward you to our Seed and Spark page if your browser's doing what it should. Um. The project is, uh, it's a, it's a eerie, it's an eerie sci-fi film that takes place at a winery. So it's about this woman who owns this winery, this plot of land in rural Oregon. And, uh, she is, um, she finds out, well, spoiler alert. She's actually an <laughs> AWOL alien soldier who's been hiding out on earth and discovered this love of winemaking. Huh. So the protagonist uh, finds out that her people know where she is and they're coming for her, but she is trying to finish the year's vintage before they come and mess with her. And it, uh, the film ends with a confrontation between her and her enemies at a wine tasting. And so it should be fun. And it's a proof of concept for a feature that I would like to make a feature film. Um, and some of my references are film like some Under the Skin or like um, some Alex Garland films. Um, I'm a big fan of Field of Dreams. Uh, it's that Ooh. kind of magical realist vibe. Yeah, um, so those are some of the references for the project. Also Arrival. Arrival's more like full on spaceships and aliens, you know, yeah. but, uh, the, this, but the tone is very much similar to that. I feel like, um, just sort of, um, sort of that like misty, misty vibe, <laughs> you know, Oregon's very foggy, <laughs> the yeah. misty mornings and, um, and the, the, you know, the female protagonist and, um, yeah, just using those conventions to create sort of mystique and stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah so that's what the project's about. Yeah. yeah. You said eerie sci-fi. So what makes it eerie? I think, uh, I wanted to kind of have like an unnerving feeling like the whole time mm. you don't know when okay. these guys are going to show up to. So, and also the, I feel like the landscape of Oregon, like rural Oregon lends itself to that. It's very wild, you know, and the type yeah. of 
the type of like plant life and trees and the way the weather can be so unpredictable. Uh, it kind of lends itself to that. And, uh, you know, some score, <laughs> nice some score yeah. to trip you out. You know, I've got a, yeah. my friend is a musician. Her, her, uh, her name's Masa Zagaran, but her, um, her stage name for music is Omniflux and she's a really talented musician and she's agreed to score the film, which I'm really yeah. excited about her doing that. So, yeah, yeah, good score can make or break a movie. So it really <laughs> I, can. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And the temptation, you don't want to overscore too. <laughs> so like you use yeah. it just the right moments. It's great. You know, I think a lot oh, yeah. of er, like early filmmakers overscore, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. but for you sure. need to let the drama speak for itself sometime. So, yeah, that's the scoop. Yeah. Anything yeah. else? Also, uh, Sari is joined by uh, speaking of magical uh, princess Lulu. So yeah, her kid has uh, had a snow day. So if you hear, hear some stuff in the background, that might be what it is. <laughs> yeah. She's showing me, she's taken, put a ring on every finger of her hand. She's wearing fairy wings and a tiara right now. And even though it's snowing outside, she's wearing a, a pink dress with covered in flamingos and watermelon. Uh, hmm, so man, yeah. Living the, living the high life. Living the dream life. Also, yeah. I, I had put on, and Kanto for her, but uh, she'd rather be Ooh. hanging out with Mama right now. That's so. a fun movie. Oh yeah, she loves it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know who's not wearing a pink flamingo dress? Believe it or not, we're also joined by another co-host, Joe Day. Uh, Joe, how's it going, man? What you been geeking out on? Ah, uh, I've been going back and uh, watching through Psych. We uh, try to keep a Ooh, good uh, stuff. an active running. Um, lighthearted show in the mix and we finished uh well we semi we finished for us brooklyn 99 there is a there is a part of brooklyn 99 that it drops like hard um so we've been going yes. back through uh through uh psych that's been great man yeah brooklyn 99 is a great show too but um well, guys, I think it, this would be a good time to jump in and talk about Deep Space Nine. But hang in there. We're going to ask Sari a few more questions about our movie after some Deep Nines talk. Uh, I might let I might let Joe ask you some more about it at the at the end here, because um, that That's is good. why we're doing a bonus. We want you guys Aww. to check it out. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so, Joe, um, Deep Space Nine, we're here to talk about it uh, as far as things go for for me um my introduction to this is it's kind of weird i was told that i need to check this one out for a long time i loved the old original star trek movies had a harder time getting into next gen for whatever reason it's not that i didn't like it it's just every time i go to watch it i'm like this is fun and then i just lose my place by the end of season one and i just give up um and I keep being told that you'll love Deep Space Nine because, you know, I love world religion. I studied world religion in college for a while. I just think it's a fun topic. And we're like, well, this is a perfect blend. You'll love this. And I was like, OK, well, I'll get through next gen so I can watch that. And then, you know, I never made it through season one. So I just never checked Deep Space Nine out until I watched uh, Lower Decks came out last year, the year before. I forget exactly when that started. It's a lot of fun. And they did a crossover episode with Deep Space Nine. And I was like, you know what? I got to see more of these characters. I'm just going to bite the bullet and start watching it. And I did. And I absolutely loved it. It was one of those where like you watched episode one just to kind of check it out to see more about the characters. And before you know it, uh, it's been days and you've done nothing. You're not sure if you've slept and you finished the show. Um, Joe, 
what uh what was your experience as far as watching deep space nine when did you find out about it and start getting into it so um it's one that i i don't think i realized when um when i started watching it i i didn't realize that it was as old as it was because it was just kind of a fixture of my childhood. I did not realize that it started in 93. Um, a lot of what is contained in the series makes sense when you realize that it was, that it, that it started then. But um, there's one of the beautiful things that I think about that, that I think exists for, for Star Trek in comparison to some of the other, um, some of the other IPs that are out there. Um, there are some aspects thematically of, you know, there are nods in next gen or in, in TNG that if you've watched the original series, you'll understand if you've watched both of the other series and, and you've watched DS nine, you'll understand the nods, so on and so forth, but it, they're not, they're not prerequisite. So for me, it was going in kind of a blank slate because I wasn't really aware of what this was about. Just that it was, I was told that it was, it was different than TNG in a way that I would really appreciate. And honestly, TNG, what I've got a soft spot in my heart for Picard. I think he's, I, I think it, it, he's, he's a strong character, all of those things. But at this point I can defend, definitively tell you that my favorite um star trek series is now ds9 um especially after having gone back through it recently and and doing a rewatch like it's just so good and so like i was i was significantly late to the party um i watched it i was exposed to it the first time a couple of years ago and then watched the full series in completion um just recently, like over the, I started it a couple of months ago and, and binge through it. Wow. Wow. So I, I think Siri might be a little bit longer in the tooth than us on this one. Um, Siri, I know you're a big Star Trek fan. When did you first get introduced to Deep Space Nine? And I don't know, what's your experience with the series? Yeah. I mean, I think I, re I remember watching TNG like on Sunday nights with my dad sometimes from a really young age. And uh, that is like my series because I came at it, uh, came to it at a super young age, you know, so it's sort of burnt into my psyche. And um, so when I heard they were launching another show, it was very exciting. And I remember watching it with uh, when it was first on, I, you know, it overlaps. I forget what year it started, um, but but I remember it did not hold my interest when I was young, when it started, and I wanted to watch it because it was just more Star Trek, you know, but it just didn't hold my interest. I was like, they're just on this space station all the time. And I think because it, it's a little bit more complex, too, like I probably wasn't there yet with like, you know, probably with just. I don't know, like the political aspects of things and um, some of the different kinds of conflicts that were happening, which I know was a real, um, mm -hmm. it was a departure, a, a conscious departure from what Gene Roddenberry's original vision was. Like he never wanted any conflict to be happening between the characters. And you see them kind of holding on to that maybe in earlier days, but mm -hmm. from a very early stage, they start, you know, there's, con they, I mean, there's conflict on the space station, you know, because of all the, 
And then, um, so anyway, that said, I don't even think I finished, you know, I didn't stay loyal to that show when it, when it first aired and it was on the air, but but like I did to TNG, but, uh, I started picking it up years and years later and really enjoying it a lot more than I remembered. And then when (laughs) in 2020, when I was, uh, when we were in quarantine and I was on maternity leave and just having and figuring out how to be a mom and stuff. I um, binged it. Like I watched so much Deep Space Nine at that time. (laughs) And I ended up getting like through the whole series and just being like, this show is the best. I felt very emotionally attached to the characters. I started finding out like where everyone, what what everyone was up to and stuff, you know. Um, And especially like the women characters are so cool on this show. Like Kira and Dax are just the best. The both of them are such cool female leadership you know ideals i feel like and um and so yeah so i became uh uh, just a if there was any doubt of my ds9 fandom it was uh (laughs) it was eradicated during that period of time yeah yeah in fact i I, if i'm thinking right didn't you choose for your your avatar aren't you uh kira on the the logo and everything Uh, dax 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 okay (laughs) yes i'm trill i'm a trill i knew that Yeah, yeah, but that, no, that is so cool. Her whole like the fact that she's so down with like the <laughs> Klingon culture is I really love that about her. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's a lot of that's really weird for me having like spent so much of my time with my only exposure to Star Trek being the old movies. Yeah. So Klingons are like not good, <laughs> you know, like it's not you're, okay to be friends with Klingons. You're still not down with them, like <laughs> yeah, it's like allies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really weird seeing them just kind of like oh yeah this is just part of everything now and i'm like what what yeah. why <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny it's the, undis- it's the undiscovered country for you is that what you, would you say that? yeah 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 <laughs> but man that's the star trek 6 reference um yeah cool yeah yeah the star trek 6 was weird um it was good but it was weird um yeah no no i mean and you hit on a few things that this show was definitely very different um the other shows which i wonder if this is part of why i was able to attach a little bit better a lot of the original star treks through next gen is like this utopia in the future the government's figured it out and we're kind of seeing what a positive view of government could look like and then here we go and it's like okay well what if uh it's not perfect what if it is flawed (laughs) Mm-hmm. what if we don't see them going place to place and they're stuck in one spot and you know a lot of different things are thrown at this and for me i love political thriller that is like mm-hmm. that's my jam and it's not quite there but it definitely has some hints of that in some of the episodes where you're like okay all right we're getting some interesting politics stuff going on here it's totally totally and it's all mixed up with the religious culture too of oh man Azure, so, yeah um, which is which Super is like my jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. That see that, that and that's the part that stuck out to me. You know, I'm not necessarily a huge. Um, I I don't I I don't necessarily vibe with high politics in my media. But I didn't like. Yes, obviously there are political elements that are there. But that's not really what stood out to me. It was reconciling the idea of what does it mean to have a bunch of imperfect people together? And when you add um, like spiritual practices and what that actually looks like, it's one of the rare times for me that I can 
I can appreciate the fact that they went a more realistic route with it. I'm going to say something that some uh, is going to be offensive to some Star Trek fans. I, I, I think the exit, and, and this is a, a little dicey to say because his exit was tied to his his medical condition. So I, I'm not, don't, don't read what I'm not saying here. But I think one of the best things that could have happened to Star Trek is that Gene Roddenberry not be involved in it anymore because he was so tied to what he wanted to see. And honestly, that's really what like, t- t- like I said, Picard, he, he, he has a, has a special place in my heart, you know, um, LaForge, Worf, you know, so on and so forth. There's so many, there's so many characters that I absolutely love that are within TNG but there's so much of that that is so to me like it's not I, I don't need realism, but it's not so much about the realistic aspect of it as it is. It's so clearly the transplant of one man's vision versus something mm-hmm. that's more of a cohesive story and a bigger environment and all of that kind of stuff that like these things don't exist outside of just what Gene Roddenberry saw. You know what I mean? Like. You you look at the mm-hmm. there there's a a famous scene from TNG where Picard um, goes on this big monologue about how um, he, uh, civilization has moved past the time of superstition and you'd ask me to to take them back to that sort of thinking uh, okay you know what I mean like and, and that's not even like I don't necessarily. I'm not the type that's going to get up in my feels when a secular show doesn't play to spiritual beliefs. I don't care. Like I'm not going to get offended by that. But like that's that 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 to me doesn't scream like what if the world moved away from uh, away from religion? That's a guy that has a vendetta against showing uh showing religion in a TV show and so no, we want to play heavy-handed towards that. And so I think when you add all of these underpinnings back into it, for me, it was that, it was that religious side of trying to marry the worlds of this man that is a commander who already in episode one is showing more emotion than McCard showed for the first several seasons of TNG. And, and, and how do you couple that with being looked upon as being this religious figure and, and prophet for an entire group of people that uh, that are understanding something from yeah. that that most of us would look at from a scientific standpoint and they're like no it's it's religious you know what i mean yeah and it's funny captain cisco is definitely my captain cuz he didn't even he didn't even want to be he didn't want to be a prophet or any of that other stuff he just all the stuff got thrown on him um but but I'm getting a little little ahead of myself i what you're talking about with with the show doing better as a whole, the universe of Star Trek because of Gene Roddenberry leaving. I see it. Uh, when you go through a lot of the like major empires or even religions, it usually hinges on how well did the first leader leave it. Um, Christianity. If Jesus did not leave it to the disciples as well as he did, religion wouldn't continue. Luckily, Jesus is God. So he did that very well, you know? <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, when you look at uh, e- even islam there was some shaky things and you still see how that was passed out in a split in the religion and it both leaders were able to do something with it but that split still exists um 
old American history, colonial, like I love colonial American history for whatever reason, the way George Washington left, say what you want about the guy. He wasn't perfect by any means, but he did leave in a good way that allowed the country to continue and prosper. Whereas if he would have kept trying to hold on, who knows what would have happened? Um, yeah, so I think that's definitely a good point. And when I'm looking at Star Wars, that makes me a little bit nervous because I'm not sure how great George Lucas left it to the next people. We'll see. <laughs> I do like Mando, but we'll see. Um, getting back to this show, though, Deep Space Nine, where I, I guess if someone hasn't seen it yet, they're Star Trek lovers or curious um, as far as things go, where does this show take place in the like overall timeline? Could one of you guys kind of explain that? I know it has something to do with next gen. And then I know what shows happen after it. But where exactly in the timeline does it fall? I can I can start this part of the conversation then, Sari, if you want to add the seasoning, if I miss anything. Um, so the series picks up with a flashback to the Battle of Wolf 359. I think is the name of the battle. It's the big battle with the, with the Borg. Um, and so, so it's kind of taking place slightly overlapped with, with TNG, because you see at the very beginning, Captain Cisco has, it has a conversation with Picard and TNG was at least a generation after the, the motion picture. They had they had already gone off and were doing um, they, they had already basically retired the original crew by the time TNG took place. So I'm not sure once you get outside of those first three, because I know that there are prequel series for for Star Trek that that take place before the original uh, the original crew. But it it takes place at least a generation or two after what most people consider as the start of the series, even though chronologically that's not actually the start of the series. It's just the start of when, um, when things were, were actually being produced with um, Shatner yeah. and all that. Yeah. Star Trek and Star Wars both try really hard to compete for who can be the most confusing chronologically. Um, one of the newest Star Trek shows I love is Strange New Worlds. And my understanding is it might be the earliest one. I know it's before the original series. Just weird. I think Enterprise um, is still sorry, the, the earliest one, I, I think. See, I haven't even heard of that one. <laughs> That's the Scott Black Bakula one. Yeah. Huh. Bakula, he's the captain. Huh. And it's like just beyond like our time. <laughs> it's like oh. they're like a step beyond just our kind of astronauts, you know. I'm gonna have to watch that one next then. Hmm. Okay then. Uh Sari, other than that, did he was he on point with everything? Yeah, I mean, isn't Patrick Stewart isn't Captain Picard on the first episode too? Like they meet in the first yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. And they have yeah, like yeah. kind of an uncomfortable moment because, you know, his yeah. wife was killed by the Borg while Picard was like giving them intel because he was assimilated blah 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 so i mean the this show started in like the fifth season i think fifth or sixth season of tng okay and so, so i think the assumption is they're happening concurrently in the right. in the world of so yeah that's what i was most unsure about is if it was like after or at the same time so um, i know that that conversation was really uncomfortable though <laughs> and it was fun because Captain Sisko's just wanted nothing to do with Patrick, which, you know, the show took a wild turn from that one. So kind of makes sense. Joe, that there's a um, 
a point in the series partway through the series where you can see, you can tell that there's more um that they do a lot more with the uh the scenes and the sets and all of that kind of stuff namely because that's when tng ended and they switched over to doing the movies and so they broke down the set and they were able to repurpose parts of the set for um for uh uh ds9 and fun facts they were actually going to um they they were going to go a different direction with ds9 with some of the naming conventions and all of that but they had already started working on this the ideas for voyager which is the next series after um ds9 yeah i i think the i personally for me the most the the most interesting part of tng is the parts where with the borg like i i think that that there was such an opportunity to really expand upon them uh, uh, upon the borg um and from what i understand in other series i haven't seen they do a lot more with the borg but it felt like to me mm -hmm. i'll get you guys opinion on this it felt like it was finally somebody stepping forward and calling out picard for what he did as a member of the borg like it just felt like in tng we all kind of moved past it it was all like oh okay so so this battle's done and now we're gonna move on back to perfect civilization and nobody fights and nobody calls anybody on their stuff and and i mean this this dude was assimil was assimilated and responsible for murdering a whole boatload of people and we're just gonna leave that alone you know what i mean and it just felt like finally somebody calling him out you know what i mean uh wow i learned a lot I didn't really like and I know of the Borg. I've seen them in other Star Trek things, but I haven't seen that part of uh, next gen. So <laughs> I feel like my opinion's not super valuable on that one. Yeah, well, like there's there is a little bit of like how guilty should he feel on TNG? Like there's an episode called, called Home where he goes and like start. He breaks down crying at one point because he goes home to visit his brother and they have this fight and then he starts crying about it and stuff because um, it's like. You know, he was assimilated. He was part of the Borg, and the assumption is that he couldn't do anything about, like, the information that he was sharing with them involuntarily. Um, but, you know, the people who were victims or who lost loved ones in those battles are like, well, couldn't you have done something? You know, like, they don't, they're not fully buying it, you know? They're, they need a scapegoat for their pain and stuff. So that's the kind of stuff that, that gets explored. There's a lot of, there were a few fun crossovers. Well, you know, like, like Colmini, thank thank God, gets to shine. Sorry, his name is pronounced Colum, Colum, Colomini, who's uh, you know, chief engineer at Deus Nine. It was really fun to see. He's just like operating the transporter pad, you know, on at TNG, but he gets to be a main character on Deep Space Nine, and he's just so beloved and uh gets tortured mercilessly on this it's an internet meme now. because uh, all the worst stuff happens to this character, <laughs> to Chief O'Brien. Um and then there's like an episode of TNG where uh, Commander Riker gets, they find out there's a duplicate of him that was created through a transporter accident. And it's this guy and he ends up taking the name Thomas Riker uh, and becoming joining this like terrorist group, the Maquis eventually. And anyway, there's an episode where they, at DS9, they think Commander Riker's visiting, but it turns out to be Thomas Riker. <laughs> It's like a total evil twin, you know. I, I that's that's, yeah, that's a lot funny. of fun. And then Worf joins the cast of Deep Space Nine, which 
is really, which I think is great. Like I thought it was super fun. I loved his relationship with Dax and stuff. Like I thought that all that was great. So uh, those, those that uh, I think they, they did a really good job with the points. It, it wasn't cheesy. Like it wasn't like, oh, we need TNG to make this show go. It had its own energy, but then they drew on the connection to TNG and really, I think ways that really supported what they were trying to do. With the show, yeah. So. It was funny. Cause I had none of the feelings about, about TNG when these characters came on. Like some of them I recognized, but I was like, cool. <laughs> and they all felt, I, I felt like they were, you didn't have to watch TNG to get it, but you could tell that it was coming from somewhere else. If that makes sense. But they still kind of explained it enough that you knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, Speaking, you know, we talked about some of the characters that passed over from there, some of the other characters that we liked um, as far as like. So the, the premise of this show, which we, we touched on earlier, is they're kind of on one ship. So this black hole kind of thing exists. There's some kind of weird energy and they're kind of monitoring a planet as well as the black hole and sort of a civil war thing. And then eventually religious wars kind of get involved. But they're there. If I'm if I'm understanding right, they're there because of that black hole and some of the stuff that's attached to it, right? I can't remember, but I think on the first episode, they find out that they have a stable wormhole. Like it's a, it's a wormhole that takes you to another place, but you can, you can stably get from one point, point A to point B, which is a very far away, the Delta Quadrant, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get to the Delta Quadrant in like seconds and you can get back. So it's like a big deal. And the fact that it's in Bajoran territory is also a big deal. But I, I feel like yeah. they don't know that they, maybe they know it's there, but they don't know it's stable or don't don't the entities that live in the wormhole um, yeah. grant, grant them passage, basically, like make it stable because of Cisco or something like that. Sorry, I should have this. Yeah, it's mythology. <laughs> it's a little confusing, honestly, throughout the series. I feel like they handle it different ways. But yeah, the first episode, it was interesting because he does end up in the wormhole and they're kind of studying it, I think. And uh, basically, he has a conversation with these entities, and that's why the people decided he's a prophet, because those are their gods or something. So, yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, they didn't know that they didn't set out with the knowledge that the wormhole was going to be um, stable. And so this wormhole pops up and uh, Cisco is kind of... um, uh, something like kidnapped, I guess, but like, but by yeah. the, by the entities that, that essentially the, the, they look to as gods. And so they're studying him trying to make under, make heads or tails of what time means and all of that kind of stuff to, to humans because they live outside of time and they basically could have like, eradicated him and not let him pass through the through the wormhole and so they they let him go and so then because of that there are all of these prophecies that the Bajoran people have that now they look to Cisco as being the um the fulfillment of the prophecies yeah which creates some interesting storylines cross lines whatever between the I want to say Enterprise, but it's not Enterprise between the the uh, Starfleet people and the Bajoran people, because 
they're kind of just now being introduced to Starfleet, if I'm remembering right. Again, there's uh, a lot that goes on in this show. <laughs> they are not just being introduced, but they're trying. I think they're trying to join. They're trying to yeah, join yeah, that's the right. members. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They had just come off yeah. of a major uh, a major war, and so they they're like and being occupied occupied and terrorized by the by the Cardassians. By the Cardassians, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which still that, you know, just like any war, it's not like, up. Oh, it's officially over and that's it. You know, there's still some uh, right, byproducts that kind of uh, come throughout the series. The space station is a Cardassian space station. They're like, <laughs> the Bajorans ended up with it once the Cardassians agreed to leave and stop occupying it. They're like, oh, we've got a Cardassian space station now. And so that's why the Federation came in to try to um facilitate that transfer of the station yeah and, and that's why man, his first officer is a bajoran to so yeah that's a good political move one of my <laughs> one of my favorite jokes on lower deck is they go and they visit the um the space station at deep space nine I forget what this what it's called but uh so you, you know the intro deep space nine they like circle the station a few times it's all like slow and dramatic so deep space nine they pull up and they're like buying for time for whatever reason like well let's just circle it a few times really dramatically it was great oh like, this is beautiful they played the music and everything yeah i was like it was, yeah it was fantastic um <laughs> so i think what really sells the show to me you know, other than I obviously I love the political thriller. I love the religious beats, but also I want to say this a lot. I'm a big character guy. You give me good characters. I'm there for it. Captain Cisco, Amazing. You know, Joe mentioned it earlier, but in the first episode, he shows more emotional depth than any of the other captains I've seen in any Star Trek, actually. <laughs> and I'm like, man, guy is just great. I don't know if it's just the actor or how they wrote the character or what. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and also, you know, I know you mentioned a few of the other female characters and stuff, too. I think my favorite, though, might be Quark. I love Quark. He is just one of the absolute funniest, like, characters. <laughs> I'm like, what? He just doesn't need to be there, really, until he does. You know, he becomes important to the story later on. But the first little bit, I'm like, this guy's just obnoxious, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, um, and like by a few seasons in, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much I care about this annoying little Ferengi. Right. I care yeah. about him so much. Yeah, but yeah, and it's uh, but yeah, he's not my favorite. On that <laughs> note, you have this, um, you have the series that is taking the time and attention to make callbacks you know what i mean like you you look at the, the characters of the ferengi and they were from they were showcased in i think for the first time in tng and then you have some of the klingons that show up in throughout the throughout the series those are established klingons from previous series and and so on and so forth like there there's depth to the world that they're building out and so far from what I've seen, I'll lay that caveat that out of what I've seen from Star Trek, this is the best showing of creating the world. Part of creating the world, I agree, 100% is part of the uh, is partly uh, characters, but also what do you is it is it moving? Is it vibrant? Is it are there things happening outside of just what the what the camera is shooting? And that it, to me is one of the strongest parts 
of this series is it just feels like there's always something happening even off from the camera. You know what I mean? Like you, you look at somebody like, like, uh, Dax, she, the, fun, so fun facts, um, LeVar Burton, uh, Jordy LaForge came to guest direct, uh, partway through the series. It was, I think season three or four when he, when he directed an episode and he affectionately called her, uh, action Barbie. And it was a, uh, a nickname that she leaned into. She, she appreciated, she appreciated because she married those worlds of not just being a damsel in distress. You think, you know, early nineties to, to mid nineties, you know, women weren't necessarily given roles and agency to be able to really show a depth of range or let alone be um, in physical altercations with men in a way that depicted them in a way where it was competent or like keeping up or things like that. And then you you have that aspect with the with that range of character that she also brought into it that just yeah it's a far it's a far cry from the days of women being being used on star trek as plot devices or as people to um to be, to be looked upon looked upon rather than like engaged with you know what i mean like it just it it, it just felt mm-hmm. like for the first time between her between honestly i'm not sure i can point to a, a a woman on the show where this doesn't, you know, shade, at least shades of this isn't true for like that, that they're, that this is that the full range of agency is given to everybody in a way that allows for a stronger overall world and experience. Well, to marry what you were talking about and what I was talking about, I'm brought to think of a time where Quark has a crush. And it's really interesting because the Ferengi people do not value women. And yet he is like, I actually think maybe I do value her, but he's like, I don't know if I have the right to in my culture, which that also gets really dicey when you think about how a lot of people take the Ferengi race as kind of a commentary on Jewish people at the time. And it's kind of like, "Mm, that wasn't okay that they did that. But also it was a different time. It was a different time. But I I don't know. I, I liked the character and I like that even if maybe they were doing some dicey stuff like that that we would not be okay with today they were still giving honor to the people in their own way if that makes sense and i don't know i I liked how yeah i like what you were talking about with uh, how they gave everybody agency and how quark i feel like was the only one that we see of the ferengi um maybe was it his kid or his nephew who's kind of also learning other people other than the ferengi have value it's his nephew his brother brother nog and his nephew are they all become pretty important characters and yeah there's a really great episode where, with their mother because they take it I to forgot the, about that yeah they, they take it to the extreme with the ferengi culture they're not even women aren't even allowed to wear clothes yeah yeah which is kind of like it's yeah. a, it's funny but it's also kind of dark when you think about yeah. it yeah yeah and, it's... Uh, and so like they find out that that and women aren't allowed to be involved in business and which is yeah. what their whole culture is about so uh, i th- i think it's just like you know in deep space nine they're doing like an exaggerated commentary on how it actually used to be you know like women mm-hmm. not being able to own property 
isn't that far in the rearview window in real life. Right. <laughs> so, and like they find out that their mom is like up doing business and wearing clothes. And it's like, they're really embarrassed. <laughs> uh, they're really embarrassed that she's like going this direction. And ultimately yeah. they accept it, you know. I remember that made me, that episode made me fundamentally uncomfortable watching it. Because like, yeah. it just, no, it just did. the way that they played it, it was a a deep cut. Like it, because like you said, there are certain aspects like, yeah, you were not, we can't point to a time where women weren't allowed to wear clothing, but we can point to a time where you look at if, if, if I'm, if I'm correct, Sari, I think you're, you're a smidge older than Josh and I, I think I'm in the middle and then Josh is, Josh is the youngest out of us. But I, so, so in my lifetime, I can point to times where like, I'm in business. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I can point to a time where a woman in business as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a CEO or whatever, even in the C-suite, doesn't even have to be the owner, wasn't taken seriously. And like those kinds of things, like buying land, all all of that, we have been aware of that that change in dynamic uh, as as a humanity that that coupled with just the way that the, the 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 actor that plays core commits to the bit so much and the way that it's written yeah goes to such a degree that like no 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 you're gonna we're gonna make you sit in this this is uncomfortable this is this this should make your skin crawl and we're gonna make you sit in it <laughs> he is yeah. so committed to that role he's a phenomenal character actor um yeah. god what's his name um Armin Shimmerman. Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad they brought him back to do the voice in the uh, the crossover with uh, Lower Decks too. That was great. Um, but yeah, no, I, all of that episode kind of reminds me of like Modest Proposal, you know, where it's like, hey, we have too many people, people are starving. Perfect solution. Let's just eat the babies. You know, it's like that kind of satire where it's like your skin crawls and you're like, oh yeah, the, some of our answers are actually terrible, maybe. <laughs> And I think that's something sci-fi is really good at doing because you could do it in a way that isn't just mocking people, but you're bringing them into a different world and showing them what this logic looks like to the extreme. Right. Well, I mean, we yeah, we still have people policing what women should and shouldn't wear. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not too far. You know, I in business, you know, in just the last 10 years, you know, people telling me, like, you should wear a skirt when we go to a meeting or something like that, or people I know who have been involved in ministry, like mm-hmm. uh, being told, oh, you should, you should wear a dress. Oh no, that's too, that's too revealing or that's too sexy. You should wear, you know, like literally your body, like how much is too much? How, you got to be feminine, but you can't be too attractive, you know, like finding this perfect. And it's like, okay, come on at this point, it's not my problem, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but like, so so yeah so maybe like not like joe said like you can't point to be like it's just an exaggeration of what the the existing thing is and that's why sci-fi is so fun because you can you can do that kind of stuff yeah well and that's what's interesting that this show does touch so much on religion is because i think i'll speak for myself here in my perspective the church as a whole seems like it's like 20 years behind the rest of the world in empowering women um and there are there are some theological things with people who believe different things about women playing the role of priest but it doesn't stop there 
So I'm okay disagreeing about theology, but then when you get to this point of like, we're also, you, the only job you're allowed to do is teach children or, you know, you have to dress a certain way or, you know, I, I've actually attended a church once where the pastor was saying that you shouldn't work for a place if a woman's your manager. Yeah. And I'm like, that, that is stupid. Yeah. Like that's just downright dumb. <laughs> yeah. I've made the mistake of, um, poke, poking my head into the Twitterverse. I've made it a point to like stay away from that cesspool for a long time for a very specific reason. And I just have to poke <laughs> my head back in when everything was jumping off with, um, Saddleback Church and yada, yada, yada. And so that's kind of the soup du jour right now within, within Christian conversation on the platform. And like, regardless, right. You can, you can have the conversations about secondary for anybody who didn't catch that secondary points like, you know, women in leadership, women in ministry, all of that kind of stuff. Okay, fine, whatever, have that conversation. But that's not like, like, like you said, Josh, that's not what's actually like happening. It's all the underlying conversation that is the disgusting part and all of that kind of stuff. If it was as simple as educated conversation, then that would be one thing. There's nothing educated about it and there's no conversation. And so having a show like this that, you know, you 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 take all of these things and in 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 the the year of our dark lord 20, 2023, you're still talking about this crap and like I'm still as as a as a as a as a pastor, as a husband, as a brother, as an uncle, like I need to have articulate conversations with people when some of these people are, are products of, of church hurt. And then you rewind the clock and realize that this show that mm -hmm. we're talking about, this science fiction gimmick that we're talking about, that's that's daring to push boundaries and have these conversations and all of that kind of stuff. Like we're talking somewhere in the ball. I can't remember exactly what season it's in. I know it's pretty early on. So I would guess somewhere between, because I know this, I know the series, or at least I'm pretty confident that the series started in 93. So you're talking about somewhere in the ballpark of 93 to 95 that this conversation is taking place. Yeah. And, and just about, just about 20 years later, we're still having a conversation about that. We're still, we still haven't really, like, we have made, progress we have made steps forward where like oh i don't know somebody's evaluated by like i don't know how, how qualified they are intelligent they are all of those kinds of things but but we still have to deal with a whole crop of people that that's not how they see it like that's that's telling and like you guys said for me not to like totally derail it into like modern issues but that's the beauty uh yeah, I, I'll go with that word of of science fiction that it it pushes and prods and all of that kind of stuff even into spiritual matters and how you how you square the circle of talking about science and talking about religion and all of those different things. Yeah, yeah. To 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 put it to to. So put the conversation in the hands of the woman of this panel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious, Sari, um, how do you have any ideas? Like, how does the the church catch up to sci-fi from 30 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, if I can answer that question, there's there's other things we're behind on, too, you know. So um, I yeah, <laughs> uh, let me let me just like look into my let me just have a second with that question. Um, well, I think a lot of the problem with a lot of stuff like this is a failure of imagination because 
it can be very difficult for someone who hasn't, like if someone feels, for example, if a man feels like yourself, <laughs> yourself feels a call to ministry, a call to teach, you know, or experiences that and feels very strongly, you know, if someone hasn't had to experience to be like, oh no, but my body restricts me, that sucks. If you haven't like experienced that, it's hard to hear from someone else that it could be that bad. You know, you have to be able to imagine like step in someone's shoes, but that's a cliche statement. Like expand your imagination around what it could feel like to be limited and to feel less free or less respected or less thought of as less, less than in any way because mm. of the kind of body you have. Um, so if someone is telling you about their experience, just believe them and don't just believe them, but like, um, try to use your imagination to think about what that could be like, could, could, what that experience could be like to help, to help your own sense of understanding and to just fe feel more connected with the human race. So, um, <laughs> that's all I yeah. have to say is like church, use your imagination and listen to people and don't, don't be so top down about everything. Um, yeah. Um, and to connect it back to the show, Deep Space Nine does some good. Be Beyond the Stars is an episode that deals with race in a really powerful way. Uh, mm -hmm. And that show, that episode is broadly thought of as one of the best episodes of the whole series to where the DS9 universe becomes a work of fiction written by a science fiction writer in the, I don't know, 40s. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know what that is supposed to be. But but yeah. he's an African-American author and he's not allowed to publish or they'll publish him, but they'll make him use a, a different name and stuff. And the 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 episode's great because it doesn't have a happy ending. It ends with like hope, yeah. but it doesn't tie it up like to make you feel better. It's like makes you sit in this feeling of discrimination and unresolved desire for a more equitable universe you know and yeah. so uh so i really appreciate that about that show it, it doesn't tie it up in a bow like you know like maybe junior out of there <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I, uh, leaves, you, leaves you with that tension in the end you know yeah i well, it's it's funny you know one of our other co-hosts and i were recently talking about it uh, christian he hates ambiguity i love open-ended endings like i think they're the best because then it's like I'm sitting here getting to wrestle with the question and think it through. And that, that's just fun for me, um, which also, hey, I, I hope I didn't sound like, hey, the church is mistreating people. How do you answer? You know, I, I didn't mean to put that on you for it. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I, I well, no, no, I, yeah, I'm not I, I think that's a <laughs> unfortunately, I think that's another problem. Like, like we, we tend to either blame women or then we turn around and expect women to come up with the answers for how we're treating women and it's like well that's <laughs> our problem right, right like right, right. we did it right. um and of course i also can't answer from the perspective of all women that would be impossible yeah yeah that'd be crazy woman, <laughs> I, but I, as a woman i can answer how for me what i feel like is important um yeah yeah and i just i don't know i, I want to do better at taking a pro of a, a posture of listening so that's all i was trying to do um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's all wild. 
But mm-hmm. getting getting back back to the show, because honestly, we could sit on that for all day. Yeah. We could probably sit on Deep Space Nine for all day. But we could do it any... real quick. I would just like to say real quick that my favorite character is Odo. That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, if you had a favorite character, and you know that's <laughs> funny because why I like Quirk so much is because of his relationship with Odo. Like those two together, their chemistry is fantastic. Different sides of the same different sides of the same coin. Like their 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 chemistry is a big is really a big strength of the show um but yeah i love odo he's so grumpy but so complex (laughs) uh and you know kind of in the way that picard like very like suppressed emotions but you know there's so much there there's like pain and there's like feeling like an outsider all the time and that's I'm, i'm always drawn to those like outsider characters who feel struggle with that sense of belonging um and also the whole storyline where you know he's deeply in love with kira and (laughs) and they're just like buddies and there's an episode where uh, i can't it's a time travel episode they go to a planet where they find Mm, that is fun (laughs) do you know that episode (laughs) yeah photos there so it's basically like they find a planet where a version of themselves, this is when they have, so eventually Deep Space Nine, they get the Defiant. They get a ship that is basically yeah, parked at the space places. station and goes places so they can explore the Delta Quadrant a little bit and stuff. We find a planet where there was a time travel accident where a version of themselves got uh, sent back a few hundred years in time and that group of people popular populated the planet. So... They're, they meet a bunch of their own descendants. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> However, uh, Odo's there, and he hasn't aged because he's a shapeshifter. Um, I mean, he hasn't physically, he's still alive. Um, and... He, but he's evolved sort of emotionally, and that's when Kira finds out kind of that, that he's in love with her. And I just love that episode. It's one of my favorite episodes. It's so beautiful um, and interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I always found it really interesting that he had a crush because, like, for the yeah. longest time, I just kind of read him as Grumpy Spock, more or less. Like, <laughs> obviously not Vulcan, but, you you know, he yeah, had that yeah. kind of vibe of, like, the outsider, the, the not really yeah. emotional whatever. And I was like, yeah. What do you mean you have? Like, how's that? Oh, yeah. No, but like in love with her. Yeah. And, <laughs> this unrequited love, you know, it's so interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the fact that he he was so complex and, mm-hmm. and Quirk also, you know, with the different crushes and different stuff that he had yeah. and how he felt his relationship with the rest of the Ferengi changing and yeah. then how they related to each other as like kind of like reluctant friends by the by like okay. mid to the end of the thing and it was yeah. it was so funny how they like yeah were there for each other but not like directly totally. there for each other i was like because well, he's like a cop and of course <laughs> like a criminal like that's <laughs> yeah there's Quirk an episode where they get actively tried yeah breaks the law constantly yeah. um and <laughs> there's an episode where odo and and Quark get stranded on a planet together and you're like oh you guys love each other like <laughs> obvious god yeah it's it's just so funny it's actually a bromance (laughs) yeah well (laughs) which is also why it was so like it was so much fun for me in because i had to rewatch the the episode of lower decks when when they interact with the with them and the fact that like it's been all this time and quirk is still just scamming people (laughs) like like, i just i love it this is great yeah but somehow like actually never ends up in jail he just yeah, no, it's it's fine. He's it's just it's yeah. quirk, you know. It's quirk. He does stuff like that. Yeah. With that, then 
I, I hope we could do more Deep Space Nine conversations in the future. I love this show. This was just kind of a getting our toes wet, introducing everybody to it. But uh, we're going to wrap up. And instead of doing recommendations, I'm going to throw it to you again. I'm talking about your upcoming film project. Um, how how does an alien get interested in winemaking? How's that a thing? Oh, <laughs> you think I, I haven't thought about this? No. <laughs> You're going to get the backstory that might not even make it in the movie, but, you know, I'll just Ooh, share with fun. the actor or whatever. Or it might be part of the feature film, you know. So <laughs> I have this backstory in mind that the, the race of aliens that my protagonist is from, um, they have um, colonized like a dead moon because their own planet got so so busted by you know it's like a, they're yeah. ahead of us with like messing up their planet so they they've colonized a dead moon and they live completely like relying on technology indoor you know indoor structures and stuff um but when Joni who's the pregnant she comes to earth uh to hide out mm-hmm. and she realizes that she because our planet is more lush and there's nature and she's in Oregon or whatever um that she has a connection to, she can kind of communicate with uh, with Ooh. the microbiome of our planet. <laughs> you That's know? fun. And yeah, so uh, it, she didn't know that because she wasn't surrounded by like a healthy microbiome on her dead moon <laughs> planet. You know? Yeah. So um, so what winemaking and natural winemaking especially is keen on is being really uh, connected to nature and. They, you know, a lot of winemakers say that like 80% of winemaking, it happens on the vine. Like if you don't have good grapes, you can't make good wine really. And so, um, so her character finds that this, this, uh, this vocation suits her well because it connects her to nature in such a way that it's a a mixture of art and science. And it also makes her Hmm. feel less lonely as the only, you know, the only, you know, she's on her own. She's AWOL. Um, she's got a couple human friends, but she mm-hmm. feels less lonely when she's connected to nature and she can communicate with the the consciousness of the earth, the consciousness of the plant life and uh, and the vines. Mm. Fascinating. So. Yeah. So last of her race loves our earth. Can I have a kind of has a little bit of a Doctor Who vibe for me there? <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> That's fun. That. I guess you can yeah. look at it that way. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing um, new under the sun. <laughs> is there any other like teasers or anything you want to throw to them before we we end this or yeah uh well i i launched as the same time i launched my crowdfunding campaign i launched a podcast and i put out um uh the sixth episode of my own podcast this today and on that podcast i talk about what it um i talk about the creative process my own creative process um yeah what helps cultivate creativity in my life also some practical stuff like that I do to try to like keep up with a creative practice and balance it with family and a day job and then I interview other creatives other filmmakers musicians and talk to them about their their creative vocations and uh with a special eye towards how that intersects with mental health and spiritual spirituality spiritual health it's not distinctly a christian podcast or anything we just talk about spirituality more broadly mental health and things of that nature and the show's called secret art project and i did that because i wanted to start not just launch a crowdfunding campaign for one short film but i wanted to start defining for myself what my values are in my art kind of 
as a brand to use that kind of cheesy word, but like <laughs> what yeah, themes yeah. am I all about? You know, what, what kind of, um, what kind of creator do I want to be and how do I, and start communicating about that with people, you know? So, so yeah, secret art project is my, my own personal podcast. If people want to check that out too, if that's up your alley. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put that link down below as well as the website, which one more time is, um, winemakermovie.com will take you to the movie and then secretartproject.com will take you to my general website links to the my more about me my bio the podcast all of that stuff is there too yeah yeah and all of that in the show notes it'll be there for you guys so make sure you check it all out uh sari thank you so much again I for joining appreciate us appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about these things and to talk about these space nine because i love it and obviously i get to talk about it for a very yeah. long time yeah, clearly <laughs> with this much background in sci-fi, uh, everyone should be super excited for what you're putting out in the world as well. So that, that's really cool. And thank guys, uh, listeners, thank you for, you know, sticking with us on this kind of bonus episode. And make sure you go to our website, systematicgeekology.org, to see more from us. And remember that we're all the chosen people, the geekdom of priests. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries podcast network.